oftentimes we have this idea of how long a goal should take to reach. And people are surprised when I say, you know, it took me over a year to build my pull-up to get to Iron Maiden or whatever, or I'm still working towards this heavy snatch test that I've been working towards for over a year now. So just not losing the process in the pursuit of the end goal, because once you get there, you're like, now what? If you didn't actually pay attention during the entire thing. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Holly and Aaron, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I'm super excited to have you on. We have many mutual, strong first friends like Lacey Lazoff and Melissa Paris and Catherine Blaze, who like just passed her SFG with your guys' help and your program. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have this amazing online presence and online platform that is so cool to really help people throughout the world, especially during kind of these crazy times as the, of the pandemic. So welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. Yes, we're so happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It's super fun because we've listened to quite a few of your episodes and it's like always a treat when you're like, oh, that could be me. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So yeah. I have been playing with your Go Ballistic, which is one of your programs. And yeah. There's, there's like stage one, stage two, stage three. And I noticed that you like to program in long rest breaks, longer than maybe <laughs> someone who's just used to like a Barry's Boot Campy Orange Theory Fitness, right? Because right. with one of those hit training, it's like 45 minutes and you do not get a break until the class is done. So can you right. kind of share your knowledge? And I know you guys like to experiment a lot around long rest breaks, because I think it's important for people to know. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are like, oh, I'm really supposed to rest this long? What do I do when I rest? Yeah. Can I do push-ups <laughs> or something in between? No. No. Do nothing. Do the actual rest part. Or, I mean, you can dance and groove around, like yeah. relax. Easy stuff. Wise, but yes, there's a point to all that rest. Yeah. If you're constantly going the whole time, trying to push as hard as you can, well, for one, the the power output that you're going to be able to put out there is just not going to be sustained throughout a whole training session. Like if it's a 45 minute training session, the amount of power that you can put out is going to be severely diminished. So a lot of the ballistics programs that we have put out there typically have someone do um, a few sets of snatches or swings, for example, and then they get a pretty luxurious rest period of common is about like three minutes, but we do plus and minus from there. We, we have one program that goes up to like eight to 10 minutes for a rest period. And that definitely gets a lot of people, but <laughs> yeah, even three minutes. Like if you have never yeah. just done three minutes, you're like, do, 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 like we right. go time again. But I think, sure. I think it's really important. And so like, what's, not only for power output, but like, what are some other benefits of resting that long? 
Yeah. So you're depleting your, your energy system, obviously with the work that you're doing and three minutes, just as, as an example of these specific programs like Go Ballistic You're On, is enough time for you to replenish your energy system to sustain yourself for multiple bouts, whether, you know, maybe that's up to 30 minutes for the training session for the day and have, like I said earlier, very minimal power drop off because we're aiming for the power. Yeah. So it allows you basically to spread out all the reps, hopefully in your training session will be of high quality. And it allows you to basically just the spreading it out allows the quality to remain high over the whole session. Yeah. You know, I was listening to Pavel, I think he was on with Joe Rogan and Mm -hmm. he was talking about how he does swings and then he rests for five minutes. (laughs) Joe was like, how long? He's like, five minutes. He's like, I just walk around and just dial down the breath. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but once, if, if you're not used to that, um, and then you start resting more, you should notice a definite increase in the quality and power of your reps. And by the end of the session, you'll also feel, you sometimes might feel better than when you began the session, like in terms of energy, you're not necessarily like in a puddle of sweat on the floor, that kind of thing. So it leaves you some energy for the rest of the day and whatever else you're doing too. Yeah. Um, there is this concept in functional medicine called metabolic flexibility. Like sometimes we do so much elimination that we're kind of just eating very few things, right? And the ability to eat different things of different colors and different varieties allows for diversity in the microbiome. And I feel like, especially for someone who is really into kettlebells like myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing right. exercise variability, right? Things that are in, like, like you guys do Indian clubs and you play with this uh-huh. jump rope. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just want to stick to my kettlebells. But <laughs> I'm sure if you asked me to jump rope, I'd be out of breath in like 30 minutes or 30 <laughs> seconds. So for you guys, how do you start to create some flexibility or variability in your own programming? And why do you think it's important? It allows for more balance. Like you can't just always be doing one thing and expect that to be your, your everything. Like it can't, it won't take care of everything for you. So like the rope actually that we've been using isn't a jump rope. It's called an uh, RMT rope. So a rotational movement training rope. Yes. So that gets you basically rotational movement. It's getting you moving in all sorts of different planes that with kettlebells, typically you're not doing, although with the bed press, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, Mm -hmm. we are doing that. So that actually the benefit of like the rope or the Indian clubs is it's something to do during your active rest. It gets you moving in different planes than you may be doing with your regular kettlebell training. And it's also just like, it's a fun break and it teaches you how to relax. Whereas with kettlebell stuff, there's like so much tension involved that the balance there is really crucial for being able to, to relax and then also create tension. Yeah. Do you guys change? So if someone was focused on strength versus like a muscle hypertrophy, how Mm -hmm. would you change their programming? Or like what, how, if it was just for strength, what do you kind of think in mind or what are important things to include versus if someone's like, I want to work on more hypertrophy? Yeah. Um, well, first off, we, we hardly get anyone coming to us for hypertrophy. <laughs> like I know, I know. As their specific goal. 
people come to us because they want to get stronger um, in the list that, you know, usually kettlebell lifts, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we definitely can structure it different. You know, some people do like, uh, again, they want to focus on strength with us, but you know, maybe they do want to build a little bit of muscle here and there. I think that our style of, of programming can be manipulated in just small ways to have a little bit more emphasis on hypertrophy than just strength alone. There's, there's definitely a good blend in there with what we do. Oftentimes they'll overlap though too, because like, yeah, traditionally if you're thinking of just strength, you're thinking of like less than five reps, lots of rest, uh, whatever. And then for hypertrophy, like going high rep, but, uh, but you can also gain strength with high reps and you can also get potentially muscle growth from lower reps too. So there's lots of balance. I don't know if that answered your question. Very well. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I ask because sometimes we see, we see a lot of women who have autoimmune conditions and part mm-hmm. of having an autoimmune condition is having a hard time maintaining their muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we focus on not necessarily from like a bodybuilding aspect, still from like functional yeah, kind of FFG-esque movements, um, you know, just trying to help them maintain their muscle mass because it's so easy for them to kind of atrophy due to their autoimmune condition. I'm curious for people who are newer to you, what do you, like if someone's like, what should I feel like after a workout? Because I think culturally we are very much like puddle of sweat on the floor. I should be laying in the sweat five to six days a week. I should just be killing <laughs> it. And I think it's important to start to shift that mindset because that's not sustainable <laughs> right? <laughs> for a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. exactly. <laughs> it's, it's an easy way to get injured too, potentially. Yeah. Yes, that too. Yeah, yeah. like, um, so I think that it's definitely okay to, you know, be a pile of sweat on the ground sometimes. And we do have our students do that sometimes, but the frequency is very low of that sort of thing. Most of the time we want people to be, challenged appropriately, but so that it doesn't impact negatively throughout the things that they're going to do throughout the rest of their day or the rest of their training throughout the week, because we have no problem programming someone like on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday consecutively, for example, and they still have quality work throughout all three of those days because they didn't leave on Monday, just feeling trashed. And it's, it supports their goals long-term because they're not leaving feeling, you know, trashed or a puddle of sweat on the floor or what have you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fighting kind of against that, that cultural idea of how, how a workout should be or feel is something that we are pretty passionate about because the idea that everything needs to feel ultra hard and you're training to failure or whatever, it's again, not sustainable. It's, your quality, again, if we go back to quality of movement, that's not a good way to maintain quality movement. <laughs> so breaking it into sets where you could you could do a few more reps, but you stop before that is really, really beneficial. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about, because you guys just put out a new ebook yep. with lots of really 
gorgeous, fun pictures. Um, <laughs> and it's all about the bent press, which I actually uh, have never really played with. So can you kind of, for people who are listening and don't know what a bent press is, can you kind of explain what it looks like and then why the bent press? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's hard to explain in words, but we'll try. <laughs> uh, so it's basically like you bring a weighted implement into the rack position or up by your shoulder, and then you move underneath it. So the weight stays about in the same place, but you're moving your body underneath it. So that's kind of the broader explanation. And then in terms of- you're rotating your torso. Yes. To help you kind of get underneath the weight. Yes, thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) And then as for the why- being able to get strong in these kind of odd positions that the bent press takes you through is super important. If you're only ever strong, like in the sagittal plane, then that leaves a lot of room for uh, error <laughs> in other in in your life where you're moving all different directions and ways. Yeah. I like to think of the bent press and other similar movements like a Turkish getup, for example, kind of like filling in in the cracks, like. If you think about primary lifts, like maybe a back squat and a deadlift as your bigger lifts, thinking of those as like tile that you lay on your floor, I like to think of bent presses and get-ups as the grout that goes in between the tiles. Hmm. Makes everything kind of like stronger and more connected. Nice. So once you get into the racked position, let's just assume we're using a kettlebell, there's like this big rotation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Move yourself under the bell. What is, I mean, I picture it as like you're creating this torque to kind of create like, I mean, I picture fascial tension mm-hmm. to like move under the bell, but what's, cause it's such that you, you don't see that move in like really any other <laughs> lift, right? Like I was trying right. to think of like, where yeah. else do you do this like big, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah not, into your TL junction? <laughs> yeah, not, not so many other things that you get rotation like that. Um, and, and that's precisely it. You, you rotate toward your torso towards the side of the kettlebell, you know, approximately 90 degrees or so. And then you're actually falling away from it while maintaining that rotated torso. It's definitely an interesting lift. There's Yeah, it's like an old time strongman type of lift. When you program it in, mm-hmm. where do people start to see gains? Because I know you guys have talked about it like an impressing program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of gain in terms of T-spine rotation. So not just like I'm getting stronger gains, it's ability to move better in that way. And then the bent press allows you, the other special, extra special thing about it is that it allows you to put more weight overhead potentially than in any other lift. So if you're able to do that, and then you come back to your press or your getup, it's like, oh, I'm like, this is cake. So that's pretty cool. Some people call it loaded mobility, which is interesting because I think that if, let's say you do have limited T-spine mobility, practicing light, obviously, but I think that that can actually help improve your, your ability to rotate, to extend a little bit, just by practicing that movement of putting yourself in a slightly compromising position. Mm-hmm. And then it also just feels really good. <laughs> Once you get it down, it's like, whoa, I'm feeling strong, but I'm, I'm coordinating like my entire body to do this thing. It can feel really good. 
and not like that other lifts don't, but anyhow, that, and then just the, the act of having to coordinate everything can help you just feel, walk around feeling like more connected as a human. Yeah. Nice. But, yeah. <laughs> Do you find, so like, let's say someone's trying to train for a press for SFG one, but maybe they're just having trouble with like getting, you know, for me, it'd be 70 pounds overhead for a certain number of reps. Would you play with the bent press as a way to kind of still build tension, still create strength without maybe overdoing the press and leading to an injury? Uh, you could definitely do that if if you were trying to let's say peak for a specific time for a press. I probably wouldn't. But if you like, let's say you trained um, a bent press and your military press kind of casually over maybe a year or so, you probably would notice improvements. Um, probably in, in both lifts and bent press and military press. But again, like if you're going for like you know six weeks or eight weeks. I probably would leave the bent press out altogether and focus on a press. <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah. I've heard Pavel talk to Tim Ferriss and Tim's like, Pavel, how do you get better at pressing? And Pavel's like, you press. <laughs> like, right. You press to get better at pressing. Like there's no secret yes. sauce to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm curious because you guys are both different heights, right? Yeah. Holly, you're like a tight, compact five one. Yeah. Aaron, you're how tall? Uh six one and just lanky. Okay, six one and lanky. So I think it's interesting because I think especially for people who are trainers who train clients, sometimes we get into this tunnel vision of like, this is where the feet have to be and this is where the toes have to be. And mm. and you know, things change based on torso and you know, torso length and then also mm -hmm. limb length. Can you mm -hmm. talk about how maybe you guys set up for the same lift, but maybe a little different because you guys are very different heights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll use the bed press, for example. So my, the, the way that it's more comfortable for me is to get in under it by, uh, in a squattier fashion. So I drop my hips really low and maybe that's because I have shorter limbs and they kind of fold up a little bit better and allow me to stay upright when I'm like folded up. But for Aaron, he's like, Oh, I can't, I can't get down there like that. <laughs> and so in, in doing that, like for my squat style, I'll set up in my squat stance and then I'll think differently about how I'm going to approach it. And then for Aaron, he sets up in what stance? Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I set up in my uh, like one arm swing stance, so that with toes, same toes turned out. Because I finish in like a hybrid style uh, at the bottom, where my I'm hinging back, but my hips are going down a little bit. So it's very similar from the hips down as like my kettlebell deadlift. Interesting. So like yeah. more hingy versus more squatty. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, but that's just one example. Um, yeah. Is there another yeah. example, like, of another lift that you guys, you're, like, look at each other, you're like, wow, your setup's, like, a lot different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> or, wow, that was <laughs> the <fun>. same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you could take, like, um, like just really any kind of squatting, for example. That's going to look so different between the two of us. We have <laughs> such different proportions. So my squat is so different than hers. 
And if How we, so? what's that? How so? How so? Well, so she could, she typically, well, so here's the funny thing. I, I can actually do quite a few ranges of different styles of squats. Like I can be really vertical in my torso, but I actually prefer to get my hips back more. And I'm talking about like a back squat here. Sorry, I didn't reference that, but, but I do prefer to get my hips back more in like a low bar style back squat. And that is definitely not Holly's preference. She's more yeah. of a high bar back squatter and our stance width is different and in all these different things. Yet it's still, for both of us, it's still a good back squat. Right. Not everyone's has to look the same and it yeah. won't. <laughs> so don't even, don't even try. Yeah, don't even try to make it fit any specific mold that you think it should because it's, it's not going to help the person. Yeah. What's right for that person. Yeah. So you guys do through your online training, a lot of, especially I think one-on-one using the, I think is it the true coach app. Mm-hmm. So there's a possibility yeah. for like the person to watch the form, do the move, record it and send it back to you guys for feedback. Yeah. This is really interesting. I think before pandemic times, like th- there were different thoughts about that. Like some people poo pooed online coaching, but it's mm-hmm. like, you know, yep. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Especially yeah. now. So what do you guys do when people have injuries, right? Because as a coach, we want to help them execute and get to their goals, but sometimes we don't want to necessarily like over cue. Yeah. So we, depending on how their injury is, if like, let's say someone comes to us and they've had, you know, in quote unquote, the old shoulder injury that, you know, happened a long time ago, we want them to first off, like know how their body is going to react to it. Give us all the information, things that, you know, make it flare up or, or whatnot. And then just have constant communication about like what's going on day to day, if anything has changed for that. And then let's say something we've been training someone for a little while and maybe something starting to flare up in their elbow, for example, and it's preventing them from doing a certain kind of lift because you know, it it hurts too much or it's all they're focusing on or what, what have you. We will, depending on severity and and we, we usually suggest that they seek a clinician, but we'll try to work with the clinician or whatever feedback their clinician has given, given to them. And we'll find some sort of movement that still can benefit them or, you know, maybe even help them towards whatever goal they had that doesn't cause them the pain that they were having before. So just kind of adapting to what's going on with them and, and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And also giving them, well, not that they need permission, but just like say... <laughs> you know, this is your, the fact of it being distance coaching, like they need to take a little bit more responsibility in terms of like, Hey, like my coach isn't here right now. Something doesn't quite feel right. I'm going to modify and like letting them know that that's totally okay. And, and writing us a note and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So Craig Liebenson, he's down in San Diego has been talking Mm -hmm. a lot about like using the environment to create the cueing versus mm-hmm. verbally cueing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for myself, I'm like, oh my God, I am over cueing or giving too many correctives. Or, <laughs> uh-huh. And then I'm like, but I want them to do, you know, I don't want to yeah. do it themselves. So like, yep. how do you guys find a balance between maybe using the environment, using a weight mm-hmm. versus 
potentially over cueing, like having to kind of like pull back on the cue. Yeah. So sometimes you kind of, you can kind of like sneak it in there in, in your exercise <laughs> selection. So we've filmed a lot of drills that are, are meant to like help people with a specific part of an exercise, say like if you're taking the Turkish get up and they're shrugging their shoulder when they come up to the elbow or down. So we filmed some drills that kind of allow them to feel what it should feel, should feel like, and then have them try without that stimulus and try to like recreate that. So that's one way. And then I think the fact of not being there at the same time that they're training allows them to sort of experiment and figure some stuff out too for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, we're giving them only what we think they can think about at one time, which can be a challenge when you're like, I see five different things that I do want to say and remind you, but just think about this one thing. And usually people improve faster that way anyway, because they really dial in the one thing and then you can layer on something else. Yeah. If there yeah. was five things, how do you choose which one? <laughs> that's, that's another good well, what's the What's the one that might affect the other ones? Or like the lowest hanging fruit type of thing. Like which, what's the the thing that will will set them up well for all the other things to fall into place? Yeah. <laughs> um, Hope that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. What is what does recovery look like for you guys? Because I know kind of in this day and age of like the biohacking world, there's a lot of like ice bath, then sauna, <laughs> then your nootropics, and then it's like you know, yeah. so many minutes in the day. <laughs> yeah. going to give the biggest bang for the buck. But I'm curious, what do you guys do for recovery? Uh, sleep. <laughs> Sleep's probably my, just my favorite one. Good one. Uh, I mean, we're pretty good at getting eight plus hours like every night. That's not well, an issue. Well, especially during especially, pandemic, pandemic time. Yeah. But even before. like Prioritizing. Prioritizing sleep. And that includes yeah. napping. Yeah. If, if needed. <laughs> Yeah, we're all about the naps. Um, yeah, we don't really get too fancy with the like the recovery stuff. Yeah, I we, do some stretching every night before bed, usually just like on my hips, but mostly just because it feels good. We're fans yeah. of cupping, though. We oh, have yeah. some um, silicone ones here at home, and we'll just kind of mess with them while watching Netflix or whatever. But um, but also a big part of rest and recovery is not doing too much in the first place. Yeah. Like you can't go ham on your like hit workouts every single day and then also go ham on like all your <laughs> all your recovery methods. That's like way too much. It sounds really stressful. So we make sure to take rest days, full rest days. We'd go on leisure walks with our dog. Just, take the Indian clubs with us. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I walk around with the and oh <laughs> with the Indian clubs. <laughs> and eating enough food <laughs> that's <laughs> a great recovery method yeah. like how many how many recovery days do you guys program for yourself for my own training right now and what's been working for me lately is i'll typically do three days on one off and then two days on one off but if there's one day like i start training or i'm just not there i'll just take it off and it's whatever. <laughs> and it yeah. seems to be working. So usually for me, never more than one. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it depends. I'll do like 
usually I'll train four to five days a week usually, but that varies in, in length. Like sometimes it'll be, I'm done with all my work sets in like 40 minutes and whatever. Um, but it's, I definitely take at least one full day off a week and usually Maybe we'll do like a couple rapid fire and just think sure. of like the oh, first yeah. word that comes to mind. Um, oh boy. You're in a, in a hit class. Let's just say hypothetical. You go to like a <laughs> class, not that, not your backyard. <laughs> and the instructor goes, all right, guys, we're going to do kettlebell swings for the next three minutes. Go. <laughs> oh, no. What's the first thought that comes to mind? <laughs> um, where's the eight kilo? <laughs> <laughs> Mine is just to laugh or to do one swing, put it down for like 30 seconds, do another. Yeah, just probably okay. just completely defy the instructor. <laughs> um, okay, someone comes to you and they look at the kettlebell and they think, they say, no, 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 I can't use that. That's going to hurt me. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, probably have to earn their trust doing some other things that are not a kettlebell. First, and then slowly introduce it, oh. or or using it in a way that's uh, that's very safe. Just getting used to even holding it, like walk around with this thing, so it's not it's not this scary thing in your head, right? <laughs> yeah. Like like the flower babies in high school, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, birth, the natural birth control. <laughs> I think that was supposed to make you more scared, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Someone comes to you and they're like, I don't know about these kettlebells. I, I don't want to get bulky. What do you oh tell boy. them? <laughs> oh, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I have like a one. I definitely don't How have How about a just like the first that. thought that comes to mind? It doesn't have to be a one, one word or one line. Just um, um, It's like, <laughs> depending on your genetics, you might get bulky. <laughs> Actually, like... And also, why is that a problem? <laughs> and also, you might not get bulky depending on, you know, how you're eating and how you're training. And also, being bulky isn't the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah, those are, yeah. Because <laughs> I think most people just, like, most trainers are just like, you're not going to get bulky. You don't have enough testosterone. You know what I mean? But, like. Yeah. Right. But, like, but the reality is, like, if you do lift and you're going for some, some big performance goals, you might gain some muscle and actually like, what's the problem there? But just like check in with like, where is that coming from? Are you, is that really what you want for your body? Or is that just societal kind of ideals that you're trying to conform to? Can you guys share like uh, an injury that you guys have experienced and maybe how you kind of changed your programming around it? Or maybe Maybe it was something else that you changed, but just maybe just like a journey through an injury you guys had. Yeah. You never get injured. No, I don't get injured really. <laughs> so I guess that'll do that. Maybe it's all the bed pressing that he does. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've had, I've had a few, I haven't had like very super serious ones I've had. So when I was training for the Iron Maiden challenge that required a lot of pull-ups so I may have overdone that a little bit on the way. And the journey through was kind of like initially o 
overdoing a little and then kind of scaling back the training, but still keeping in the pull-ups. And then finally kind of getting the strength there enough and, and the, the pain level wasn't so disruptive to my training to where I could do the Iron Maiden, but then kind of scaling down and changing my pull-up practice in terms of changing the grip up a little bit because I had to do it with just overhand grip. And so I was maybe overtraining that specific grip. So changing, just making sure to vary the weight, vary the grip, all that stuff. And then also just lay off of pull-ups a little bit. Well, I think it's interesting because I think when people experience pain, it sometimes it's like, oh, I got to stop doing that. Like there's almost mm. this uh, oh, yeah. fear avoidance. Right. Versus how can I work through it? How can I change something? How can I dial in some form? Which it sounds mm-hmm. like what you did and you created some variability. Right. Yeah. Just create some, exactly. Like just change it up just enough to where it's, it stays below maybe like a four out of 10 or three out of 10 pain scale and just go with it. I think there's, I was just talking to one of our students about pain and pain science and about how we sort of assume that like, if everything, if we're doing everything right, like with the correct form and blah, 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 that, that we should never experience pain, but pain is a part of all of our lives. And it's not necessarily that you, you never experience any form of pain. It's that how do you adapt to pain? Is there anything else you guys want to share that we haven't talked about? Yeah. So Phil's putting on a new kettlebell cert, but it also incorporates Indian clubs and some bodyweight stuff. And it's because of the sort of pandemic and no one knows what's, what it's going to be like in the fall. There's a tentative in-person date in the fall, but then also he's offering a virtual option. So we're kind of excited to, we're pretty excited to attend and kind of learn his sort of new methods of training it. I think that he's been working on kind of his philosophy forever, but he's able to like in having his own cert kind of like really lead with the things that he's discovered from the years of teaching kettlebells and body weight and clubs. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you ever go to a certification and right? Because you guys have trained for a while, right? Yeah. Your breadth of knowledge is wide and deep and like do you still feel like you go to a cert and you're like yeah I learned something new yeah Yeah. I I would hope that we learned you know at least at least one thing new (laughs) a couple things yeah and and in my experience it's every every single time I've gone to an event I've I've learned something for sure that I've implemented either with myself or with our students and it may be just someone saying something slightly differently that clicks to you in a different way yeah even if it's about the same, the same exact movement. But I think like that's something every day in our training, we're trying, like if we're focused and clear, we're trying to learn from it every time we train. Even if it's a movement we've done a bunch of times, like there's still something that can be learned from the practice. Yeah. I think it's a problem if you're not learning something new. <laughs> yeah. You're just not open. Yeah. Where do you guys, I mean, obviously Phil is probably part of training inspiration. Um, who do you guys look to towards for that? Well, recently, like we talked about earlier, we've been into the RMT ropes lately. So we went to the WEC method in Southern California earlier this year. 
and took some private lessons with one of their coaches there. So that's been an inspiration for me. I've I've been love loving rope training lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that. And then I think, I think most of, I've been really inspired by sort of like learning, diving deeper into the pain science stuff, like I mentioned. So that's not necessarily, I mean, it's training related, but I think yeah. being being inspired by just every day what we're doing in our training is is really f- is fulfilling. Like, what can I learn here? I don't know if I have. Who are you looking towards for the uh, for the pain science? Greg Lehman, mm-hmm. and then I think actually you interviewed someone who was talking about the biopsychosocial sort of recently. Uh, I forget their name, and then the book Explain Pain. Do you know that one? I don't know that one. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's that. Um, yeah, but in terms of like wider inspiration in, in the fitness industry, we've been learning from Dr. T. Williams, who actually is not a trainer, but he's, he educates on liberation and social justice. And taking that kind of lens to the fitness industry, where there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff going on that <laughs> can be stuff. examined from that lens, has also been really inspiring. It's been a little discouraging, but also inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Where can people find you guys? So we're most active on Instagram at Lift with Holly and Aaron, and Aaron's name is spelled weird: A R R Y N. I don't know what my mom was thinking, but whatever. <laughs> um, but that's where like the bulk of where we hang out the most. And then uh, in our link in our bio in there, there's links to other talks that we've had with people, our website programs you can get from us like Go Ballistic and How Do You Vent Press. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of the main place I would send people. Well, if you're not on Instagram, I guess not everybody is. Right. Uh, there's, there's just our website at Lift with Holly and Aaron and is spelled out.com. Awesome. Is there anything as it relates to strength that you would want the listeners to know? Something that we like to remind people is that strength takes time and patience. And so oftentimes we have this idea of how long something should take, you know, how long a goal should take to reach. And people are surprised when I say, you know, it took me over a year to build my pull-up to get to Iron Maiden or whatever, or it's taken me, I'm still working towards this heavy snatch test that I've been working towards for over a year now. And so just not losing the process in the pursuit of the end goal, because once you get there, you'll be like, now what? If you didn't actually pay attention during the entire thing. Yeah. The people you do work with, who is there something mindset wise or personality wise that helps them be more successful than maybe others who maybe drop off the map? Have you found any sort of like consistency in terms of like personality or mindset or qualities? Anyone who really pays attention to the feedback that we give and works on implementing it does better for sure. Like their improvements in their movement it's way easier to see versus someone who, if we keep getting the same cue over and over and they're, they just like, there's no, 
<laughs> acknowledgement <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm... <laughs> and you kind of have to work with those people in a different way and, and say things a whole different bunch of ways. But yeah, definitely someone who's willing to be, to try different ways of doing things or to implement feedback basically. Yeah. It's yeah. like you can only lead the people who want to be led. Right. <laughs> the people who right. are willing to take the coaching, right? Exactly. Yeah, yep. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. So everyone should check out your programs. Check out your new Bent Press ebook. And check you yeah. guys out on Instagram. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.